understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. That was given to me as a direct line from God. God said to me, Neil, I will never forgive you for anything in your life. Forget about it if you think I'm going to forgive you, because I will never forgive you for anything. I love it when I get up in churches and give my little talk in churches, <laughs> and I tell people, uh, I'm here to tell you that God will never forgive you for anything for the rest of your life. And you know, people like, are uh, you know, scandalized sitting in the pews trying to figure out what I'm telling them. But God will not forgive us for anything any more than we have to forgive a four-year-old child for spilling the milk at the table. I need your guidance, Lord. Come on and get me, Lord. A real one coming to your throne. Gotta believe that I'm of your own. Conversation, revelation from the maker of man. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my want and my needs. Know that He got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is just. Hello, my What If Project friends. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 109, and it's my conversation with Neil Donald Walsh. Now, if you don't know who Neil is, uh, hit pause, go to the Google machine, put in his name, uh, and you will find some interesting things for sure. So, I'm going to tell a very, I think it's a funny story. Um, in the episode about my introduction to Neil's material uh, all the way back in high school and how when I came across it and I started reading one of his books called Conversations with God, um, I was told it was dangerous and I should basically get rid of the book and never read it again. And uh, being the good, the good boy that I was, I obeyed and all these years later I came across his stuff again reached out to him, and he was kind enough to come on the podcast and uh, join me on a conversation. And I feel like I've made a new friend in Neil. We email back and forth uh, once in a while, and he uh, sent me some other material of his, and uh, we're actually planning a second episode. So uh, stay tuned for that, but uh, I think you're going to enjoy this episode. I I learned a lot, and I think that uh, you will as well. So uh, real quick, funny story, and this is random, but it's okay. we had this crazy thing going on in our house the other day, uh, plumbing issue. So Dana was was taking a shower. We had the dishwasher going, and we have a shower downstairs that we like never use, and uh, it's in a in a bathroom, obviously. And we keep uh, the cat's litter box in the shower stall. It's like a stall, and uh, we don't have any shower curtain. There's no door on it. It's just kind of a it's just sunken into the wall. So we put the cat's litter box over the drain just because it keeps it out of the way. We never use it anyway. And I go down there to give the cat some food. And I look in the shower and there's like two inches of water in it. So I'm like, that's really weird. And then I look over at the toilet and there's like water coming out from under the toilet. And I'm like, that's definitely not supposed to happen. So uh, long story short, I was up to like, two o'clock in the morning with the wet dry vac, uh, cleaning up this water. And, uh, I texted the plumber. We have a really good plumber. I texted him at like two o'clock in the morning. And I said, Hey, I just want to get on your list for the morning. You're not going to see this till then. Uh, but can you please give me a call? And I sent him a picture because we have a problem over here. So he calls me at seven o'clock. They send somebody over. Uh, there was a huge clog somewhere out to the septic tank. And that's disgusting, but that's what it was. 
And then we had an issue. The toilet downstairs wasn't like bolted to the floor. Like when we bought the house, the guy that flipped the house, I guess, didn't put the toilet on there, right? So it wasn't actually bolted to the floor. Like it was just, you could literally move it. And I, I know that. And I didn't really think that was right, but you know, I'm not a plumber. And he's like, yeah, that's definitely not supposed to happen. So uh, we had a problem with that toilet anyway, because the tank was leaking and I thought it was like the gasket or whatever it is that connects the tank to the bowl. And so I tried to replace the gasket. It still leaked. I didn't know what I was doing. turns out the tank has like a crack in it, which is why it's leaking water. So we had to get a new toilet. We, we had so many things go on. I mean, it was just, it started with a clog and it turned into a thousand other things. And, but Hey, life is good now. And uh, we have functioning toilets. We have functioning plumbing. So <laughs> everything is, is good here with our uh, first world problems. So anyway, that's been, that was earlier in the week. Um, some, some exciting, exciting times right there. Uh, but anyway, uh, before we jump into the episode, uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash what if project is a place where you can go to support the show financially. Uh, we have 27 patrons right now. Thank you to each and every one of you that has believed in this uh, project enough to give some of your hard-earned money to it. I know that in times, anytime, but especially times like this when life is so crazy, uh, finances are way up into the air with all the stuff we've had going on with the pandemic, it can be very difficult to decide if you're going to give your money towards a cup of coffee, much less to support some dude's podcast um, every single month. So thank you to those of you who have made uh, that commitment. It means the world to me um, and to my family to have your your support um, in that way. So if you're interested in jumping on board with that, uh, I will put the, the link to it in the show notes. Uh, just so you know, with Patreon, there are different tiers of giving. Uh, for ours here, it's anywhere from $3 a month up to $20 a month. And there's different tiers in between. And every tier gets its own like reward. Uh, so one of them is like a blog post, maybe every week. Uh, another one is a bonus podcast episode once a quarter where I kind of give you a sneak peek of an episode that's coming up somewhere down the road. Um, like for instance, we have our health series coming up. So a couple months ago, I gave those patrons uh, the NT Right episode, which was recorded a while ago. So uh, I'll just give you kind of like a sneak peek and I'll do a little intro where I just talk to the, the patrons and stuff like that. So pretty cool. There's another one where you get access to a, a special Marco Polo group that has me, uh, my wife in it, as well as other people who are on that level of giving and over. Uh, another one is where I send you a book in the mail every quarter. We call it the Heretic of the Month Club or the Heretic of the Quarter Club, where uh, a book that's influenced me and my thinking, I packed it up and I send it to you in the mail. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, head over there and, and check it out. Again, the link is in the show notes. Uh, all of Neil Donald Walsh's links will be in the show notes as well. Uh, there's a link to the Heretic Shop in there if you want to go buy some t-shirts, hoodies, hats, um, all that kind of stuff. And also a link to our special music today. Um, Young Citizen is one of my friends I work with at Apple. He's a hip-hop artist here in Charlotte, North Carolina, making good music. He just released uh, some new stuff. Uh, so some of his music will be in this episode. You heard a clip before. You'll hear a clip now. I'll play a full version of the song uh, towards towards the end. Uh, so go check it out. Download his stuff. Pass it around. Uh, like I said, he's doing really good things in the community. He's got a big heart. Uh, super, super guy. Very encouraging. Always reaching out to me to encourage me 
with the podcast and I just really appreciate him um, and his influence in my life and here in our in our city um, as well. So all that to say, like I said, this is episode number 109 and it's my conversation with Neil Donald Walsh. Enjoy. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Uh, wish I on a pot on go with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Uh, wish I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go ahead and run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sand most beat, I'm a chest. Wish for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own picture, we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go ahead and dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got a hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, you picked a fun day to stop by because today we have the opportunity to sit down with Neil Donald Walsh, who is probably best known for a series of books called Conversations with God. So Neil, uh, thanks for dropping by. It's an honor to talk with you. Well, Glenn, it's lovely to be here with you as well. So thank you for the invitation. You're very welcome. So before we jump into our discussion, I wanted to share a funny story with you, if you don't mind. It better be funny, because if it's not funny, I'm out of here. That's it. He's just hitting end, and he's out, he's out of the Zoom room. <laughs> but uh, this is a little bit weird. But um, all the way back in the late 90s, I was in high school, and I picked up uh, one of the books in your Conversations with God series, actually the first one. And at the time, I was in a very conservative, um, evangelical, private Christian school where anything that strayed outside of that um, evangelical norm in terms of understanding God was deemed to be heretical and evil and, you know, from the devil. So when people found out I picked up your book, I was lectured about the dangers of your books and your work. And, and promptly, like the good evangelical boy that I was, um, I, I got rid of it. But here I am 20 years later, and I'm deep into this season of you know, deconstruction and rethinking my faith. And I recently picked up some of your work again, uh, most recently, The Essential Path that I want to talk to you about a little bit later. And I'm at this place in my journey where just a lot of the things that you say are resonating with me. And so what I wanted to say to start off with is, is thank you, because I'm sure that you take some heat from the more conservative church crowd, but uh, I thank you for pursuing your journey and continuing to put out uh, helpful and challenging material. Well, it's, uh, you're, you're very welcome, Glenn. Uh, and let me share something with you apropos of that. When, by the way, I have to work hard to use the word apropos in a sentence. So <laughs> this is not an easy thing to get into, get into a normal conversation. <laughs> but but I, I want to say to you that um, I, I admire people who do give me a hard time. Mm. If, if there are people of, of a particular persuasion that uh, is in disagreement with my point of view, you know, if they really believe what they say they believe, they should be giving me a hard time. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly. So I'm very open to that. As long as they're civil and kind and, and, uh, and um, you know, and, and generous in their uh, patience with me, as long as they don't become abusive, verbally or physically abusive. Mm -hmm. But if we're simply exchanging points of view, even if they're doing so vociferously, that is with passion, they should be, because what is the point of having an idea about something, especially something as important as God, if we don't feel passionate about it? So yeah. I encourage people who are 
um, holding a point of view different from mine to share with me that and, and tell it to, to me with all the passion that they can muster. And if they'll give me the same um, opportunity to share my point of view with them, then we can at least, if nothing else, we can agree that we disagree right. and we can do so agreeably. And if that isn't the teaching of Christ, then I don't know what is. That's right. That's right. I think if we can leave the belligerent feelings and comments out of it, and we can just both see each other as having different views and have a conversation about it, um, I think it makes it all the more enjoyable, all the more well, Christ-like. My, my, my friend, Glenn, if the whole world acted the way we just discussed, yeah. the world would change overnight. That's right. That, and and that, that is what uh, people of all faiths, I don't care whether you're Christian or Buddhist or Jewish or, or, or Muslim or whether you b belong to some church we're not uh, aware of, uh, if that isn't the purpose of our relationship with our higher power, then here we go again. Then I don't know what is. Yeah. Because if the idea behind believing in a higher power isn't to create an, a, a better way of life, then we've missed a, a whole point, it seems to me. That's right. So before we jump too far into the rest of our discussion, uh, maybe take some time to talk to us about you, especially for people who maybe aren't too familiar with you and your work. Um, a little bit about who you are, you know, what do you do, some of the highlights of your of your journey. Well, gosh, I, I don't know that that's terribly important uh, to people, but I can give it to you in six or eight sentences. Perfect. I, you, know, I, I, you know, I spent my younger years in the um, communications business. I, I started off my work life in broadcasting many years ago, you know, 50 years ago. Hmm. Uh, and... Um, and the, and, and then I went into print media and I became a newspaper reporter and ultimately a newspaper managing editor. Uh, and, and then I moved into other areas of, I wound up having a syndicated talk show, uh, nationally syndicated on the radio. Mm. And so I've been in communications arts all of my life. But I woke up somewhere, uh, and I, I don't mean physically, I mean uh, metaphysically I woke up uh, it, it felt in my uh, late 40s, and I realized that I wasn't a happy person. Mm. And, I, and, and, and I, I, but I had a very deep belief in a higher power, in a God. I just, I just couldn't quite reconcile how I felt about God with how I felt about life in certain areas and how I felt about myself. And so I began uh, a deep search. And, and then I had an automobile accident. And I actually, uh, an older gentleman, I'm sorry to say, turned his car right into mine. And it was clearly his fault. The insurance company said so. The police said so. Even he acknowledged that he just made a mistake. He, he turned right into me. He was an 83-year-old gentleman, and I broke my neck in that car accident. Now, the doctors told me after the whole thing was said and done that I should not really not have lived, that I was one of uh, the very few people who could suffer a broken neck. And I didn't have a, uh, Glenn, I did not have a little hairline fracture. I had a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture wow. of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly. In other words, you could take a pencil and put it through the crack in my neck. Wow. That, that's how big the, the, the break was. And so the doctors said to me, you know, when I survived that, man, man, 
there's no way in the world you should be here. You're just mm -hmm. one of a hundred thousand people who escape that because spinal cord injuries, all sorts of things are involved or can be involved in that kind of an injury. But I made it through and I made it through not only surviving, but without even any paralysis. That is, I didn't even wind up in a wheelchair. I simply, you know, I have a few small things going on, but nothing to complain about. And so here I am living my life. And but what that did for me, it took me out of the game for about a year and a half. I was going to therapy every week, once a week. And then uh, I should really say I was going three times a week, then then twice a week, then once a week for a year to get so that I could turn even turn my head from side to side because I had, you know, I had to undergo lengthy therapeutic intervention mm. in order to regain my function. My, my point of telling that long story is, I've seen the upside of it and I've seen the downside of it. I lost everything. It, it, I, the insurance, you know, which insurance companies used to do, maybe they still do, who knows. And it took uh, two or three years to even come to a settlement with me. They were trying to get me to agree to a lower and lower and lower and lower settlement until I had so little money that I had to accept whatever they wanted to offer. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, they were bleeding me dry in that sense. And during that time when I couldn't work anywhere, I was wearing a therapeutic collar, what they call a Philadelphia collar, to hold up my head because my neck would not support my head. So I was wearing an, uh, a head brace that went from my shoulders to below my chin. And so nobody, nobody would hire me. I'd go in to ask for a job. <laughs> nobody wanted to hire me because they said, are you kidding me? You're a walking insurance claim. Mm. You know, you make one wrong move, pick up a box the wrong way or drop a pe pencil on the floor. And, you know, we're, we're paying through you know, for, with your insurance company. So, so mm. anyway, I, I wound up being out of work and I wound up living on the street. That is, I lived on the sidewalk. I was a street person for uh, the better part, all but two weeks of a year, I, two weeks shy of one year. I recall the dates so specifically that I finally got off the street and found a little a, a grand, granny, granny apartment in the back of somebody's backyard. Mm. And I managed to, but I, to, to live there, but I, I, um, I had no way to make a living. And so there I was uh, and without a nickel to my name. I mean, I literally, that's not an exaggeration. I actually did not have a nickel. Hmm. to my name and I had to and I was walking the streets begging wow. that is I would hold my hand out to people on the street and say anything would help and they say oh I only I only have a couple of quarters I say sir if I got a couple of quarters from everybody who passed me by today I could actually buy something at McDonald's to eat hmm. please please me I have those two quarters now that will change your whole idea about life Glenn yeah. when you're on the street asking people if they would give you the two quarters in their pocket Wow. And, and uh, that's when I called out to God. That's when I sat down one, one, one morning. It was at 4.23 in the morning. I woke up so angry about my life and how it had turned out with all my talent, all of my gifts, all of my you know, apparent, you know, <laughs> the gifts that I got <laughs> from God. I, I turned to God and I said, okay, all right, what does it take exactly to make life work? somebody tell me what I'm doing wrong. What, what do you want from me? I, I remember screaming out in my little apartment to God. And I was, I'm not kidding. I was yelling, what do you want from me? What does it take to make life work? And what have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? I'm sitting here with 63 cents on the dresser, and that's all I have in the world. How am I going to get through this day? Forget about this week or this month. How am I going to get through the day? And I was just sitting there on the couch, 
so angry, and I, I began writing a very angry letter to God. I found a yellow legal pad that, uh, on the coffee table in front of me, and I began writing a very angry letter in which I asked those questions. And then I, um, I know this is hard for people to believe, but I heard a voice yeah. over my right shoulder. And it, 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 it said, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions? Mm. Or are you just venting? And I remember thinking, yeah, well, I am venting. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you've got answers, I'd sure like to know what they are. Yeah. And with that came a flood of answers to the questions I had started um, my conversation with. I call it a conversation now. Mm -hmm. and, and, but those questions, of course, I'm sorry, I mean to say those answers brought up other questions in me. And so I would ask other questions and I was writing all this down. I was keeping track of it uh, on the yellow legal pad because I wanted to, I was, the answers I was getting were so astonishing that I wanted to keep, a, uh, uh, keep track of them, keep a record of them. It never occurred to me that anyone, anyone else, not even my closest friends would ever know I was having this experience. It was a very sacred, personal encounter. But at some point uh, in the, what I'm calling the dialogue, I was told, you will make of this one day a book. And I, and I thought to myself, yeah, I remember thinking, of course. Yeah. You and a hundred other people are going to send your middle of the night mental meanderings to a publisher who's going to say, hold the presses. This guy's talking to God. We got to get this thing out at once. But in fact, you know, it, it happened almost that way. Mm. I sent it to a publisher and people have often asked me why, if you didn't write it as a book and if you didn't intend it to be a book, okay, smarty pants, why did you send it to a publisher? Mm. And, and I tell them, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I sent it to a publisher because I was told in the dialogue, this will one day become a book. Hmm. And I wanted to test God. I wanted to test what I was hearing, what I was, yeah. dare I use the word, receiving. Hmm. I wanted to make sure I wasn't just, you know, kidding myself or that I wasn't, you know, um, getting it wrong. Yeah. So I, I sent it to a publisher really on a dare just hmm. to see what would happen. I thought to, to myself, test. okay, yeah, God says it'll become a book. We'll see about that. Yeah. Well, the, it, did, it was accepted by a small publisher on the East Coast, not a major publisher, but a minor small publisher who put out maybe six or eight books a year. Mm. But fair enough, they published it. Sure. And it only sold a million and a half copies. Is that all? <laughs> It, it, was, it was only translated into 37 languages. Wow, wow. It became a worldwide bestseller, Conversations mm. with God. Yeah. And I couldn't, and, 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 and I've written 33 other books since then. Mm. And I couldn't imagine, I mean, I couldn't even believe what was happening. And then a major publisher, the Putnam Publishing Company, swooped in, called this small publisher on the East Coast, we'd like to buy this book from you. Mm. And uh, they offered a sum of, it doesn't matter what, it was a huge sum of money. Yeah. Uh, much of which came to me, of course. And so suddenly I was receiving checks, you know, that are larger than one could imagine uh, to say yes to this deal. And I, we, they sold the book to Putnam. Putnam put it out in, in, in those 37 languages we talked about. And they're still selling the book to this day. Yeah. Yeah. This is 26 or 25 years later. Wow. So uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that's amazing. So I haven't read Conversations with God in a while. I think I read the first book, and I read half of the second book. 
Um, but maybe refresh my memory and share with our listeners, like what were some of the things that, you know, that you felt like, what was God saying to you that was so radical? And I would also ask, was that different from your, maybe your tradition, your upbringing? Because I don't believe we talked about that. Like, was that the things you were hearing, was it kind of in line with what you were raised to think about God or was it completely different? Well, it was utterly different in, in many respects. And it mm. was the same in some other respects, okay. Glenn. But, but the, the, the things that were different is that, that, number one, God wanted me to understand that I, uh, I mean, I, I, I dare talk like this when I say God wanted me to understand. <laughs> sure. I really believe that I had a conversation with God. And yeah. furthermore, I believe that everyone is having conversations with God all the time. Mm. That is, I believe that God is communicating with all of us all the time in countless numbers of ways. And we're dismissing it. We're, we're calling it something else because we've been raised not to imagine that the higher power, that our deity would talk directly to us or communicate directly with us in any way. Mm -hmm. So because, in fact, some religions think it's blasphemy, apostasy, heresy to even suggest such a thing. Yeah. That, that God would even talk directly to any human being, unless it's perhaps the Pope. So, mm -hmm. so we are, we're, we're told never to acknowledge or, or say that out loud. So we call it something else, a, a psychic hit, women's intuition, a moment of inspiration, you know, a, a, a sudden, uh, a, a sudden uh, a good idea that we had, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we, we try to find words to describe these, um, these, these moments that we have in our life, these glimpses that we get of larger truths and greater understandings, and even sometimes directions, which way to go in our life. Mm -hmm. So what God said to me, the first message that I got was, I talk to everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. The question is not to whom am I talking? The question is who's listening? Mm -hmm. And that was the first message that I received. It was on, I think, page five mm -hmm. of 4,000 pages of dialogue on page five, because I asked God, why? I don't understand. Why would you choose me? Why are you talking to me? Why would you choose me? And God said, oh, sweetheart, I know you want to think that you're different from everybody else. You're so special. <laughs> and so special. But I talk to everybody all yeah. the time. Huh. It's not the question of whom I'm talking to. The question is who's listening. Hmm. So I said, okay, fair enough. So can I ask you any question that I want? And God said, ask away any hmm. question. And I promise to give you my best answer. Hmm. So then I received all sorts of you know, answers to the questions I've always wanted to ask about God. And when you ask me a question about, you know, what did I receive that was a little unorthodox or other than what I was raised to understand, mm. I was told that God is simply pure love, mm. that God does not punish, God does not become angry, upset, disappointed in us, that there's no such thing as hell, mm. that there's no such thing as Satan. Mm. Of course, whenever I say this in certain circles, people say, well, that's exactly what Satan would want you to say. Right. <laughs> but you, you've become an instrument of the devil. And I've, I've accepted that mm. as what people are going to say to me. Uh, but in fact, I, I was told in my conversations with God that, that God does not punish anyone, that, but, but that human beings need to make a major decision in their lives. They have to confront a simple decision. Who am I? Hmm. Am I simply a physical entity, no different from a dolphin or a whale or a bird in the sky or a fish in the sea? Hmm. Maybe more complex, fair enough, perhaps a higher 
uh, life form. Maybe human beings are more complex than the other life forms. But other than that, that's basically what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a life form, a chemical mm. creature, a physical entity, and that's the beginning and the end of it. Or, or is it possible that I'm something larger than that? Is it possible that I'm a spiritual entity that has a body and has a mind, but I am not my body and I'm not my mind. I am that spiritual entity that some people call my soul. Mm. And if, if I agree that I am really a soul that's carrying a body and a mind around, mm. then I have to ask myself, why? What am I doing here? Where am I? Why am I in this physical environment? What's the point of it all? And for that matter, most importantly, how do I get back to where I came from? Because mm. if I'm a spiritual entity, I must have come from some place where spiritual entities exist, mm. which we loosely call heaven or paradise. What, what am I doing here and how do I get back home? Of course, every religion on the face of the earth attempts to answer that very question. Mm. That's the purpose of religion, to answer that very question. That's right. Yeah. How do I get back home? And, and so in and, and the Conversations with God books, there were nine dialogue books, have explained that to me in the most unorthodox way. What God said to me was, sweetheart, you never left home. Mm. This is part of the home that you are in. Your earth is part of paradise. It, it doesn't feel that way in many ways and in many respects, but, you, but the whole physical universe, the cosmos, look up at the night sky, and if that doesn't look like a version of paradise to you, <laughs> then you're looking with blind eyes. You're not really seeing what you're seeing yeah. because clearly you're seeing something so magnificent, you hold your breath and can't even describe it. Wow. So God was saying to me, you know, the physical realm is part of the kingdom of God. Mm. And that there are really three, how would I put it, realms, if you please, in the kingdom of God. What you would call in human words, the spiritual realm. What you would call in human words, the physical realm. Mm. And what you would call in human words, the realm of pure being, where you are both physical and spiritual at the same time. Uh, which you would call heaven or paradise. Mm -hmm. What? I said to God, you mean I'm even physical when I'm in heaven? God said, oh yeah. But physicality doesn't necessarily manifest the way it's manifest uh, on earth. But yes, you, you are the totality of your being. And, and then I said, well, then what's the point of this? What is the purpose of all of this? And how do I get back home? God said, I'm telling you right now, you are back home, but the way to experience being back home is to act as if you are back home. And that's what every spiritual master who has walked the face of the earth has done. Whether you're talking about Jesus or Buddha or Lao Tzu or any one of the great spiritual masters, male and female through the years, all they have done is walk the earth as if they were clear who they really are mm. and where they are. That mm. they were clear that who they are is an individuation and an aspect of divinity and that where they are is in the kingdom of God. Jesus put it perfectly. The kingdom of God is within you. That's right. So it was, you know, and, and, and so those nine dialogue books covering over 4,000 pages of interactive questions and answers. Questions I never even dreamt of. I mean, even the questions were inspired. I was mm -hmm. inspired to ask questions that everybody would ask. <laughs> and answers 
that I couldn't have imagined in a million years. Glenn, you know, I didn't have a formal education past ninth grade. I did graduate from high school. Mm. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I, I, I flunked out of the first three, three months of my college years. I didn't pay attention to what was going on. I didn't want to have anything to do with it, frankly. And, I, and so I, that's as far as I got with my so-called formal education. Mm. So no one can even say, well, you know, he's graduated with a PhD, he studied theology and all the rest. No, I didn't have any of that background. So the information that I was receiving in conversations with God came from a totally different place within me Mm. that I didn't even know existed. And with priests have actually written to me, Catholic priests, at least one Catholic priest from the East Coast wrote to me and he said, you know what, Mr. Walsh? I can't just say that I agree with all of your theology, but I can say this. You've created some of the most stimulating conversations that we've had in our religious studies class yeah. in the past 10 years. Mm, I love it. Your book, The Essential Path, now correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind of you drill down a little bit deeper into that um, idea of, of our nature. And you talk about like... Well, God, God said to me, the biggest, the biggest problem in the world today is that we don't know what the biggest problem in the world today is. Mm. We know the outcome. We can see the fallout from the world's biggest problem. But we're like a guy who gets in the car and can't start the car and he doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't know what's happening under the hood. All he knows is the car won't start. Mm. Well, all we know is that life on this earth will not start being what we thought it was going to be because of the biggest problem in the world. But the fallout from the biggest problem in the world is alienation. I've never seen people so alienated from each other as I'm seeing these days on this planet. Countries alienated from countries, members of political parties alienated, utterly alienated from members of other political parties without even knowing them in person. Mm. Members of religious groups alienated from other religious groups, racial groups alienated from racial groups, and the list goes on and on and on. Even the genders, male and female, alienated from each other in in many ways, especially in the workplace where females are still to this day fighting for equal pay and equal rights. And so we have this experience of alienation, but we don't understand why. And we, and those of us who believe in God, whether you believe in uh, an orthodox version of God, as most Christians do, or whether you believe in God in the way that I believe, those of us who believe in a higher power, you know, fall to our knees at night and say, God, you know, what's going on? Why all this alienation? Mm -hmm. Is there no way to heal this? And God says to me, Neil, it's really very simple. You think you're separated from each other. You, you, you think that you are over here and everybody else is over there. You think it's you against them. You have no idea who you really are, nor are you clear that there is really only one of you demonstrating in a billion different ways. Mm. That really there's only one essence in the universe the essence that is called divinity, which is demonstrating itself and manifesting itself in a kajillion different ways, Mm. which we call the planets, sun, the stars, the moon, the flowers outside, the blades of grass, the trees, the ocean, and of course, the sentient beings in the universe, Mm. not just human beings, but sentient beings all over the universe. Hmm. Now, if we accept the notion that there is only one thing and that we are all that, then I would have to see that you and I are simply individuations 
of the self same essence of the same thing that mm. in in real terms you are me and i am you and every spiritual teacher from the beginning of time ha has taught this brotherhood of human of humanity every human being i mean i'm sorry every spiritual teacher has said that human beings are in a brotherhood if you please or a sisterhood not to be gender specific that we are all one essence demonstrating and illustrating ourselves individually and i said to god i have a hard time understanding that and god, that because that would mean that i'm one with you as well god said you are you are one with me and now he lost me because she didn't understand that I don't understand what she was trying to say to me. <laughs> but, but, but he said, no, 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 Liz, I, I know more than you think I know. I know every thought you have. Let me explain this to you in a way that you can understand it. Mm. Think of yourself as a wave on the surface of the ocean. The wave is not something other than the ocean. It's not separate from the ocean. It's simply that which arises as part of the ocean and demonstrates itself in individual form, there are no two waves alike wow. any more than there are two snowflakes alike. Mm. So here's an individual wave demonstrating and expressing the ocean in that particular individual form. And when the individual expression is complete, the wave recedes back into the ocean mm. whence it came. Mm. And God said, if that will help you to understand your right relationship with me, you are a beautiful, powerful, exciting wave on the ocean of divinity. Wow, that's beautiful. Now, the world would change if we simply acted like that. Mm -hmm. And here's the irony, Glenn. This is the irony that I tell people in my audiences who sometimes I have some skeptics who come to see me and they raise their hand and they go, ah, oh, it's a bunch of baloney. I say, you know what the irony of it is? You don't even have to believe it. Mm. it just if you simply chose to act as if you were yeah. an aspect of divine, even if it's not true, mm. you would change the world overnight. Mm. And you would change your life overnight as well. Mm. Now that's a point of view that everyone from Francis of Assisi to, I mean, <laughs> Hildegard of Bingen to mm. any, any spiritual messenger you want to name has been inviting us to do that. So I say to people when they come to my audiences and the few skeptics that stand up and say, it's all a bunch of baloney. I say, you know what? You know what? You could be right. But here's what's not baloney. If you act on the messages that I have received in the conversations with God material, I promise you, your life will change mm. and be for the better and be careful, be careful because not only your life may change, you may wind up changing the lives of everyone you touch. Yeah. So maybe give us, give us some practical examples. Like what are the implications of choosing to live into this to, see yourself as a wave, a part of the ocean, to see yourself as a, as a spiritual being um, who's manifesting physically, to see yourself as part of the, of the one um, larger being. Like, what does that look like if I, if I choose to live like that? If everybody who's listening right now chooses that, yes, I'm going to live my life like that. Like, what changes in our homes and our workplaces and our relationships? Like, what are some practical things? 
Well, of course, the list is so long. We don't have enough time in this interview. Yeah, for sure. To, to run through the individual list, but I can I can answer your question uh, by uh, inviting you and your audience to embrace a couple of questions uh, of their own as we move through life, which will bring you bring them the answers hmm. to the question you just asked. I ask myself two questions in my life that bring forward for me the experience of singularity. That is the experience of being one with the other. Mm. I'll give you an example. Let's say that my wife and I are having a difficult morning. It happens. We love each other. We love each other intensely, actually. But, you know, even people who adore each other have moments when things aren't going as well as they would like. Yeah. So here's one <laughs> of those mornings when, it's, when we're just not clicking and, and things aren't going really well. And my wife might even turn to me and snap at me and say something a little bit uh, sharp. In the old days, I would have snapped back. I would have become very defensive. Mm -hmm. But since my conversations with God, I've learned to ask myself a question, what God calls life's magic question. In moments such as that, and there are other moments I could describe as well, I ask myself the magic question in my head quietly. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? And when I see what this has to do with the agenda of my soul, oh, this is giving me a chance. This moment of unpleasantness is giving me a chance to show up to, as who I really am, to demonstrate what I imagine myself to be, in my case, an individuation, an aspect of that which is divine. And then I ask myself a second magic question. Is there anything that I'm seeing over there that I have seen over here in me at any time in my life? The answer, of course, is inevitably yes. Mm. Of course, I've acted that same way. I've been sharp-tongued. I've said things. I've been, un, you know, uh, un, uh, uh, I've been thoughtless. I've mm. been unkind. I've been uncaring. I've, I've, I've been careless. I've been... All, I've been even dishonest in my life. I've mm. done all those things. So if I can see myself over there and then give that other person the same leeway I give myself to say, you know what, I don't condone it. I don't approve of it. I don't suggest that we do it over and over again, but I can understand it. Mm. I can understand how you can feel that way. Mm. I can understand why you would talk to me the way you're talking to me now. Hmm. understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master that was given to me as a direct line from God. God said to me, Neil, I will never forgive you for anything in your life. Forget about it. If you think I'm going to forgive you because I will never forgive you for anything. I love it when I get up in churches and give my little talk in churches <laughs> and I tell people, uh, I'm here to tell you that God will never forgive you for anything for the rest of your life. And, you know, people like, are, you know, scandalized sitting in the pews trying to figure out what I'm telling them. But God will not forgive us for anything any more than we have to forgive a four-year-old child for spilling the milk at the table. Mm. Because four-year-old children do what four-year-old children do. Yeah. And we are the four-year-old children of the universe, I yeah. promise you. Mm. We are acting like four-year-olds. And we, we still have grown-ups who lead countries 
threatening other grown-ups who lead countries for heaven's yeah. sake. Yeah. We have people threatening people, groups threatening groups, individuals threatening individuals. We don't know how to stop our own barbaric behavior. Mm. After all these millennia, we've been here 50 millennia. 50,000 years and we haven't figured out how to get along with each other without threatening nuclear annihilation. Mm. It's quite remarkable that we're still acting like children, but God sees us as the newborns of the universe. Mm. And because it's very clear that that's who we are, God says, you know, I don't need to forgive you any more than you need to forgive a two-year-old child or a four-year-old for spilling the milk at the table. Mm. When the four-year-old spills the milk and it ruins the whole dinner and it goes all over the place, maybe even drips into grandpa's lap, <laughs> grandpa doesn't get up and say, go to your room mm. and don't come out of your room for the rest of the summer. I'll teach you to be careless. You should know better. Mm. Of course, God, I mean, uh, the, the grandpa doesn't say that. Yeah. The grandpa doesn't even say, it's okay, honey, I forgive you. Mm. Because forgiveness is not part of the equation. What does grandpa do? He actually comforts the child yeah. in the moment of her so-called transgression. Yeah. And therefore, God, in fact, comforts us mm. in the moment of our so-called transgression. When we're acting like children, God says, come here, come here. Yeah. Let me give you a hug. Let me tell you something that you may not believe in this moment. Even in this moment, yeah. I love you. Mm. And nothing you can do can change that. Yeah. That's the God in whom I believe. And if I'm wrong about that, then I am. Yeah, it's funny you say that, you know, God is speaking to all of us all the time. And as you talk about like that idea of a, of a child spilling something, I feel like since I've become a father, I have a three-year-old daughter. You probably heard come in <laughs> hooting and howling a couple minutes ago. But uh, she, since I've had her, like, I feel like I've heard God all the more. Um, even just the other day, she, just like you said, she spilt something and, you know, I went to get a paper towel. She's like, daddy, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I was like, Jordan, you don't have to be sorry for that. It was just an accident. Daddy drops things all the time, you know, and I got down on my hands and knees and I cleaned it up. But in that moment, like, I felt like, I felt like God said to me, just what you said, you know, it's just like, that's how I view you. You know, you wouldn't punish her. You wouldn't send her to her room because she, she just dropped some water on the ground. Like, and I don't do that to you. I don't do that to people. And I feel like, like that's so opposite of everything that I was taught growing up is that there is this God of punishment. There is these consequences for our sins that, you know, God deals down to us. And like, now that I've had it, I've had a daughter, like I just see things entirely differently than I used to. Let me put a fine point on it because I was raised Catholic. Mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be a Catholic basher. I'm not really a, a basher of Catholics <laughs> because I'm glad. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I was raised inside of a religious environment because it did teach me about this entity called God and it taught me about eternal life and many wonderful things. Mm. But it also taught me that if I miss Mass on Sunday without going to confession and I should die before I go to confession, I'm going to hell. I'm sorry, let me repeat that because some people may have missed it. Yeah. I said that the church teaches that you are going straight to hell yeah. if you didn't go to church last Sunday. Mm. And if you don't confess your sins before a priest. Yeah. 
So, you know, I've had okay, interesting conversations with priests saying to them, do you really believe, is this, by the way, the Catholic Church teaches that to this day. I thought it was an ancient teaching from, you know, from a few couple of centuries ago. No, hmm. the church teaches that to this day. Very modern. You are required yeah. to go to mass every Sunday unless you've got a legitimate excuse. You have to work or take care of an ailing a parent or whatever. But if you have no excuse, you must go to mass. And if you miss mass, and happened to get hit by a car hmm. before you got to go to confession on Friday, you're going to hell. That is, you're going to everlasting damnation because you missed mass last Sunday. Hmm. And that's the God in whom religion asks us to believe. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Hmm. I'm sorry. I'm having nothing to do with it. Hmm. For our listeners who, who grew up in, in the church who kind of need to have a, a Bible verse for everything, because that's the world I, I come out of too. Um, you said earlier that, you know, all the spiritual teachers talk about this sense of oneness and um, things like that. Like, can you point us to some verses in the Bible where maybe Jesus used that language, maybe Paul well, used I that language? I don't, I don't have them memorized, yeah. but, but, I, but I, did, uh, I did write a booklet about this. Uh, uh, and, the, and, the, and the booklet is... is, is um, available you know, at Amazon or any other online bookseller. Hmm. Uh, and and um, the, um, but yeah, God has, you know, if, if I could risk losing you, hmm. uh, I, I could even go into my computer for, and, and bring up many, many verses in which God said, you know, that, that we are one. Hmm. I and the Father are one and we are brothers. Well, what does that make us? So, so, um, and, and, and many other uh, verses from the Bible as well. But my favorite verse from the Bible, uh, and I'm trying to re see if I can pull this one up before. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm actually looking up one as well that just popped into my mind when you said yeah. that. We so, can look it up together. <laughs> yeah, what, what I'm going to look up is, is um, my, my, favorite, my favorite verse from the Bible is from Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Hmm. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Hmm. What does that mean? I said to the priest, in other words, if I don't judge someone else for missing Mass on Sunday, God will not judge me. Hmm. And the priest didn't know what to say. <laughs> he was flummoxed. He said, well, well, you know, so, so I guess we, we want to believe in this interesting God who says, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say. I don't want yeah. you to judge. Judge not and you shall not be judged. But I have no choice, God says. I mean, I mean I'm God. I have to judge. Hmm. I mean, somebody has to judge. <laughs> but I'm telling you, judge not and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not and ye shall not be condemned. Luke hmm. 6. 37. Look yeah. it up. Hmm. So either Luke got it wrong and didn't understand what Jesus was saying, or we have gotten it wrong ever since. Yeah. yeah. Somebody help me out here. <laughs> yeah, the one that came to my mind was uh, John 17, starting in verse 20, where Jesus is praying for um, his disciples. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
and he goes on from there. But I think that that picture of unity and of being one with each other and then one with the divine, I think is really just captures the picture of what you're saying. It captures it perfectly. And it's one of the verses that I have included uh, in, in the booklet that I was uh, talking about. Yeah. Last question for you. I have a quote um, from your book, The Essential Path, that I wanted to ask you about. Um, you say, what if it's not God's job to tell us what to do, but to empower us to do what we want to do? Uh, could this be why the world is the way it is? Is it possible that God is empowering us to make our collective choices, giving us the freedom to evolve or devolve as we wish? If we don't want a world in which 653 children die every hour of starvation, do we not have the power to change that through collective action and with our collective resources? So my question that I was thinking about when I was reading that section is, um, do you believe that like the human race has the collective power to eliminate struggle? And I ask that because like, I feel like a life without struggle or sacrifice or, or pain isn't really all that human. And again, my, my, my filter for reading this is coming from my Christian upbringing. But like when I look at Jesus or look at Christ, I see someone who shows us what it means to be human and to engage with struggle, to overcome struggle. So I don't, I don't think that struggle is required. It, hmm. it, 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 is, it is not my understanding that struggle is required. Is it present in the human experience? Yes. Why is it present in the human experience? because we don't know who we really are. Because we have no idea what's really going on here. Because we don't know the purpose of life. Because we don't know the resources that are uh, uh, available to us. Mm. And, and, and for, the, for those reasons, we, we, we struggle in our unknowing. But I don't, I don't accept the notion that struggle is required mm. for life to proceed. Um, in its most natural and uh, way. Mm. There's a difference between natural and normal. It's normal for us to struggle, but it's not natural. It's mm. normal because we don't know who we are. Mm. It's, it's, it's natural uh, for us not to struggle when we know who we are. Mm. So that doesn't mean that um, bad things don't happen to good people, because they do. But um, we have heard enough stories of, of people who have overcome uh, those moments in those events in their life for us to be convinced that there's something they understand, there's something that they're aware of that we may not be fully aware of. So we have to ask, all of us have to ask ourselves, it seems to me, a fundamental question. Is it possible, just possible, that there's something I do not fully understand here about God, about life, and about myself, the understanding of which would change everything. Mm. So now when, when we understand who we are and why we're here, we recontextualize the entire experience. Mm. And even while the pain may not go away, physical or emotional pain may not necessarily go away, struggle does mm. because struggle and pain are not the same thing all of us have had the experience of feeling pain but dropping the struggle we stop struggling against it we just allow it to be there we allow it to be what it is whether it's emotional or physical pain 
And there's not a one of us who hasn't had that, that experience. Yeah. We have learned how to overcome pain and stop struggling against it by fighting against it, but allowing ourselves to say, okay, this is part of the process of being mm. physical. But, it, uh, but struggle does not have to be an aspect of that interaction with life. Mm. And so I have, I've given up struggle for Lent. <laughs> I like that. So would it be fair then to say, like, looking at the life of Jesus, the life of Christ, uh, that maybe he came to, maybe in his life, we see how to live in the midst of the, the normal pain and struggles that are here. Well, of course. But at the same time, but at the same time, live in a more natural and human way. Well, of, cor- of course. Yeah. That, that hmm. was the whole point of his ministry. Hmm. That was the whole point of his life. Hmm. The, the story of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane was not placed in the Bible willy-nilly. <laughs> it was a yeah. marvelous example of a person who is divine, as are we all, yeah. and who understood his divinity. But even in his understanding, we, allowed, uh, we were allowed to know that even he said, you know, it, God, if there's a way that this cup could pass from my lips, that would be really neat. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't know <laughs> that I need to really go through this. Right. But then he said something quite remarkable. But not my will, mm. but thine. Mm. And he surrendered to what he understood to be the will of God, or to put it more humanly, his own purpose in being human and in being physical. And and so, you know, we, and we all have our own, I don't mean to be sacrilegious here. I don't mean to be irreverent, but in a, in a manner of speaking, if you'll forgive me the turn of phrase, we all have our own crucifixions in life. Yeah. We all have our moments when, when we feel like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's happening here? Mm. You know, the, the, the marriage is falling apart or I just lost my job or I just lost my house or I just lost my health. Mm-hmm. I'm being threatened at the highest level. I, I had, you know, I had an interesting experience about a year and a half. Now, now I guess it's about, gosh, I've lost track of time. It's about three years ago. But three years ago, the doctor said to me, you know what, Neil? You actually need open heart surgery. Mm. What? I've, you know, I'm reading about open heart surgery on the, on, on the internet and in the newspapers. <laughs> I, I, Neil Donald Walsh, need open heart surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you've got severe blockages. The angiogram shows not a little bit, but severe blockages. Or to put it in terms you'll understand, you're a walking time bomb. Mm-hmm. We need to get you under the knife. And mm-hmm. we need to have you, we need to have you be operated on and we have a bypass. He thought I needed a triple bypass. You know what? I didn't need a triple bypass. Mm. I needed a quintuple bypass. Wow. They wow. actually replaced five of the arteries to my heart. Wow. I'm telling you the story for a reason. I remember lying in the prep room on the gurney. They were getting ready to wheel me in and they were giving my wife a chance to say, you know, her final moments with me. And she said, oh, honey, you know, I love you so much. I said, thank you, sweetheart. I love you too. I looked at her and I said, don't worry. It'll be all right. However it turns out, Mm. I'll be fine. Mm. And I remember as I was being wheeled into the prep room, lying there on that gurney, thinking, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. I was thinking there, you know, God, 
I can't lose here. Mm. I'm either going to come out of this operation and feel a whole lot better than I do now, mm. or I'm not going to survive the operation and I'll be home with you. Either way, I win. Mm. And I went into that operating room with gratitude, enormous gratitude. So much so that the surgeon, before they put me under, said, you seem to be in a pretty good mood. I said, you know, I kind of joked with him. I said, who wouldn't be in a good mood when I'm in the hands of you? You're the best surgeon mm. in the whole area. <laughs> and he said, well, you certainly made me feel better about what yeah. I'm going to do here. I'm right. going to cut you open pretty soon and, you know, stop no the heart. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know what? Gratitude is a marvelous, marvelous yeah. energetic solution That's right. to the world's great problems. So. I have to tell you that struggle is something I've given up and I replace it with gratitude. Thank you, God, for helping me to understand that this problem has already been solved for me. Amen. Wow. Well, Neil, we are, we are just about out of time, but this has been amazing. Uh, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I have a lot more to ask you, so maybe we can connect again someday down the road. Oh, I love it. In fact, I'll, I'll do your program every day. They're taking you off the air and replacing you with me as of next Monday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but but I'll, oh. be happy, I'll be happy to make an appearance whenever it suits your schedule. Thank you so much. And uh, where can people go real quick to find you online to interact with some of your teachings? CWG, which stands, of course, for Conversations with God. Mm. So the website is cwgconnect.com. That's how you can stay connected with the messages of conversations with God. CWGConnect.com. Perfect. Well, I'll put the link to that in the show notes so people can go and find it. And I will talk again soon. Thank you, Glenn. Lovely to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. You as well. to my knees praying to god bless me with my one and my needs know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed only thing that i ask is that you do set me free free falling to my knees praying to god bless me with my one and my needs know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed only thing that i ask is that you do set me free look sometimes it doesn't hurt to be selfish no i got a big heart i like to be helpful some people take it for granted it goes for all levels no, I might sound crazy, it can be dreadful. Got a clip, you think you got the keys. On the voyage, always searching, I feel at the knees. Nothing but to go above and I can go beneath. I've been through the highs and lows of things you can't believe. So many folk are independent, you know that's a given. Cause they've been hurt so many times, that's just part of living. God reminds us on the daily, it's already written. Can't believe she ate the fruit and we know that's forbidden. That's forbidden. It's been a minute since I felt so amazing. Lost out in the space where stars are gazing. Maybe I see heaven while the sun all blazing. Instead, I'm going and hit the dreams and I'm still chasing. Yeah. Father, please help me. I need your guidance, Lord. Come on and get me, Lord. Feel one coming to your throne. Gotta believe that I'm of your own. Conversation, revelation, from the maker of man. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Free. 
falling to my knees Praying to God, bless me with my want and my needs Know that he got my back, ain't no choice but to proceed Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free Yeah when I die, you're the first I'm trying to see. Never got to say goodbye, cause I'm still in disbelief. Only seen you in my dreams, always blocked by all the beams. Maybe it's a sign I can take it to extreme, yeah. My decisions were the base of what we talked about. Always pour to me, make sure I never had a doubt. You weren't the perfect person, but nobody is. You always dreamed to have a house of wife, some little kids. You were the king of in the making. Always about your paper, never sure there wasn't breaking. Forever I'm inspired. Your hustle ambition, so I'm admired. In the same place, close to my heart, your desire. End of the day, I just want to see your face. You to tell me that you're proud of me, I always find a way. I know that you're around me when the wind starts to sway. A car new in the trees, I just need you here to stay. Yeah. Father, please help me. I need your guidance, Lord. Come on and get me, Lord. A real one coming to your throne. Gotta believe that I'm of your own. Conversation, revelation. to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my want and my needs, know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed, only thing that I ask is that you do set me free, free, falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my want and my needs, know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed, only thing that I ask is that you do set me free.